0: The Enviro Show with Nancy Richards It's the Enviro Show carrying on the good work that Naledi uh, just started there earlier on as we heard. Well, I'm Nancy Richards together with Kim Winter and Lon Wabofani. and don't forget if you'd like to be part of the show tonight, why don't you do it? You can just pop us a, pop us a well, pick up the phone is what I'm saying 0892 10 2010 if you'd like to join in 0892 10 2010 and you might like to join in on account of its being Water Week right now through until the 22nd. So needless to say, we're devoting a large part of the show to all things watery, starting with Happy Kambule of Project 90 by 2030 on water, wasting and saving. And then after that, the great flush, how much water literally goes down the drain. Well, we're going to be chatting to uh, CEO of African Sanitation Group of Companies, Gio Haynes, to give us something more to think about on that. And then, thinking beyond drinking water, we'll also be finding out a little bit more about what Samrek do, They're the Marine and Education Centre in Port Elizabeth, and their attempts to save the African penguin, apparently threatened with extinction in the next five years if we don't do something. And then, I'm not sure that uh, humans are likely to be extinct anytime soon, but way too many of them are drowning, most especially children. And we'll be talking to the director of SA Life Saving, his Yuri Vessels. To find out more and get some uh, statistics which are, will in themselves be cautionary. And then to close, the Eco Film Festival. It's starting on the 26th of this month in Cape Town, Pretoria, and Johannesburg. Lots to learn there, especially for children, I think. They, I think they are a particular target this year, which is very nice. So that's what we've got in the lineup for this evening. But we're always interested to hear what you've got to say. And if you've got any bright ideas about water saving and ideas on how we can make water go further, as I say, give us a call on 0892 10 2010. Let's all be part of the solution 0892 2010. And just on water, a quick bit of uh, eco-info here. Certainly it's a National Water Week as it is. Well, here in Cape Town, the Watershed Project are hosting a series of water-related events. Most especially tomorrow, Friday the 20th of March at 7 o'clock, you can go along to Greenpoint Park in Cape Town where they're going to be screening a film uh, absolutely free. It's uh, it's all about water, needless to say. Um, As I say, absolutely free. Take along a picnic and uh, a blanket or whatever you might need. Uh, Attendance, however, is limited to a maximum of a 1,000 people, so stampede yourself away along there and make sure that you're amongst that first 1,000. And if you want to know more, their website is thewatershedproject.co. Dot ZA. Which brings me on to the Water Film Festival, which is also happening from Saturday. Uh, that's this Saturday until the 24th at the Labia Theatre. And that's the Water Film Festival. And that precedes the Eco Film Festival, which we're going to be talking about in a minute. And don't forget anything you've missed and let us know. We're at uh, enviro at safm.co.za or check out our Facebook page, which is The Enviro Show on SAFM. Stay with us. The Enviro Show well, Water Week, as you know, here uh, right across the country. And in our short series with uh, Happy Kambule of Project 90 by 20, we thought we would talk to him about, guess what, about the water shortage. And so I spoke to him earlier just to find out how bad he thinks the situation really is.
1: I mean, the water situation is really bad because um, not so long ago, I was watching something I saw last year in 2014, and it was just uh, based on eyewitness news. And it was talking about some areas in um, Pumalanga, specifically in Malacheni, where people have to buy water. And many other people are making lucrative business out of that. And, of course, there are areas around, even Cape Town and Johannesburg, where people don't have water, not because they're only in informal settlements, but because the the infrastructure leading to those those areas just cannot get water. So the the problem also is that... (laughs) um, the the water we do have is running out, meaning the fresh water that we, we're using, because most of it has been allocated to other big infrastructure projects or for farming. And then the rest is what we have to make do with.
0: You know, the irony of it is with climate change, we're getting more sort of extreme weather conditions. We see when we get rain, we get huge amounts of rain. And, you know, to the average the average Joe amongst us, we think, you know, we're getting all this rain, what's with the water crisis? Mm.
1: Yeah, I I think it took me a while myself to understand that the rain that we do have is not necessarily linked to the amount of water we do have, um, because the water needs to be channeled through certain infrastructure, um, dams and purification plants, before we could even drink it. So I think also where the rain happens is also something we should start considering.
0: So are you saying then it's not so much the shortage of water as, as our poor infrastructure?
1: It, it's, it's both. Yeah. Um, right now in, in Free State and some area lands of um, northwest and Mpupu, there has been somewhat of a drought. And I would say somewhat because it, it, it's a drought, but there are areas which are raining. But it's where it's raining and how do we get the, the infrastructure to where the water is? But coupled with that is that the infrastructure that we do have is also aged. It's just the same um, conversation we'd have about the telephones or we talk about electricity, yeah. just that the infrastructure is old and hasn't been maintained for such a long time.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's absolutely true. But, you know, you, you talk about the the piece that you saw where people were actually having to buy water. I mean, I every now and again I see, and I'm sure you witness this too, um, water that's just pumping out of taps or so the other day near where I lived there was water just flooding down the street because there had been some sort of leakage and, mm. and all of us are guilty, you know, washing cars there seems to be such a huge wastage of water um, you know, as individuals we might not be the guiltiest party in terms of how much water we use but, but we need to sort of start appreciating uh, its usage more
1: Yeah, I, I think you're correct, we need to appreciate the use of water, I mean without water there is no life um, and the idea that we still have lawns, massive lawns, or just trees for beauty and not having something that uses water much more efficiently, efficiently such as fruit trees, for example, um, is something that also gets to me a little bit because the idea of water is that water can produce and can make our livelihoods much more better, healthier, um, and safer. Um, but, however, we, we still regard water as something of a byproduct of Earth or mm-hmm. just something that is an economic input.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I suppose those of us who've got taps are very quick to turn them on and sometimes leave them on. I, yes. You know, it's, it's an issue, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I hear what you say about um, large lawns, not to mention golf courses, which… Oh. Uh, <laughs> which probably makes you froth at the mouth. But it isn't just the the lack of water. It's very often that water is polluted. We hear this again and again. uh, Rivers very badly polluted. Mm. What what are we to do about it? What is the average person to do about it?
1: Well, um, ironically, a week ago, I was just looking through some of the internet options of what you could do with water to make sure that the water is safe. I mean, the age-old boiling your water before you drink it definitely helps, especially if you're in an area. But again, in an area which has polluted water, but again, that adds to your energy costs. Yeah. Um, the, there's some own DIY options where you can make something they call a water ionizer, basically separating waste to the alkaline components of water. Oh. But obviously, those are something something someone could do as a hobby or find out, but truly speaking, we need to talk to local government to say that this is unacceptable. Um, We need to go into areas which make sure that our water is not only safe, but it is also used well. Um, It's very hard to say what we can do immediately, and one option is not to buy bottled water because bottled water is also one of the high inputs uh, or the the high expenditures of water that we have. It takes a lot more water, to have to make um, bottled water. So, those kinds of things are kind of a worry because we don't have steadfast rules right now. But if you can put a rainwater catchment tank, that could uh, aid.
0: Yeah, yeah, that would certainly go. And I suppose the difference is, you know, we need to sort of separate in our minds drinking water, good, pure, clean drinking water, with uh, recycled water, grey water, re harvested yes. water, and, and see the difference there.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, many people are starting to catch rainwater water um, and using that for their primary garden purposes. And then what they have then on from the tap is what they use for consumption. But again, again, it depends on where you stay. So the issue might be very different. And I mean, if it's, it's, it's a call to get uh, local authorities to ship in, or rather not to ship in, to, to bringing trucks filled with water because the water quality that goes through the tap is not enough or it's not uh, quality of good quality, then we should be able to do so.
0: You know, you mentioned there the irony of buying bottled water and, you know, creating a bottle of water takes up so much water in itself. But um, whilst domestically we we probably using more water than we should do, I think the biggest or one of the biggest uh, you consumers of, of, uh, of water is creating energy. Yes. Just just explain the link there.
1: Oh, um, yeah. So that's the big thing right now. Um, our key, our, the biggest proportion of water we do use is between energy and industry, um, also including mining. But energy being the whole value chain from the coal, from cleaning the coal or mining the coal to transporting it to the power station and then cleaning it again to prepare it for combustion. And while you you going through the process of, within a, coal, a coal-fired power station, of generating electricity, you need to burn water or to steam it, uh, to turn the turbine. So that's a loads and loads amount of water. I mean, Greenpeace just did a, a study so long, not so long ago where they kind of quantified the amount of water it would take for uh, us uh, to keep on living the way we're living in South Africa. And it says that basically... Um, and, to get electricity for a second, a second of electricity is about 10,000 litres of water, meaning the whole fleet of electric power plants that we do have right now are consuming about 10,000 litres of water per second.
0: Good grief. What was that equation? One second of electricity requires 10?
1: That, that's been generated at that point at the, at the, at the power stations combined. It's 10,000 litres.
0: Good grief. That yes. is indeed a scary figure, isn't it? Yeah. I guess it's all about it's all about awareness and it's all about knowledge. And uh, coming back to Project ninety by twenty thirty, I know that you've got a very um, knowledgeable website. Are there are there ideas on how to save water, what to do about water on your site?
1: Uh, yes, uh, there are very concrete DIY ways of making sure that we use water more efficiently. First of all. Just looking at the at, at lights, when you talk about electricity, we talk about taps uh, for water. If your tap is dripping, something is wrong. We have to fix it immediately. Um, and also regular inspections of, pipe li- of pipes that are going through your property um, because most of the leaks are actually where we don't see them, so they're between the pipes, the walls, and underground. So a regular inspection of that would actually stop us from having, the, as we said, a puddle of water in the middle of the road or a puddle of water in the middle of the park because of a burst pipe. And also, when you get, when you're doing daily activities like washing um, or washing, uh, brushing your teeth, there are a number of ways which you could look at just putting a cup of water there and then brush your teeth and then not needing to open the tap, um, those kind of things.
0: Yeah, they're all very simple things. It will save only small amounts of water, but I mean small amounts of water is what we're going to be having to look at. Happy blessings. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll talk again next week. Eh? All right. Thank you very much. Lovely. You look take look care. Thanks a lot. Happy Kambule of uh, Project 90 by 2030, and we will talk to him again for the last in this little series. But if you'd like to check their site, find out more of what they do and what they have to say, it's 90by2030.org.za. Those are the numbers 90x2030.org.za. Well, next up here on the show, the rather uncomfortable issue of water and toilets. Not only a physically sensitive issue, but also rather politically sensitive, as still in this country, how many people are without proper toilets and sanitation? And don't we know, um, certainly as a result of all, you know, knowing that all the protests have been happening around that, all of which kind of puts the issue of how much water is wasted in flushing toilets into perspective, doesn't it? Geo Haynes is CEO of African Sanitation Group of Companies, and they are also the makers of the Afrisan solar powered waterless urine diversion toilet. So um, interesting that I also read talking of, of toilets that apparently, across the world, something like 2.6 billion people don't have a toilet which is a very big concern as open defecation, in other words, not using a toilet, contributes to 88% of the deaths caused by diarrheal diseases. In other words, 1.5 million children under the age of five years old die annually. It's a little bit scary. It's very, very scary. But let's concentrate on what can or can't happen here in South Africa. Uh, I've got Gio on the line. Hi, Gio.
2: Hi, Nancy. How are you doing?
0: Excellent. Thank you very much for joining us. Looking forward to hearing about your AFRISAN solar-powered waterless urine diversion toilet (laughs) in just a minute. But, you know, listening to some of the sort of stats that I was quoting there, Mm. I suppose we've got two issues, really, haven't we? We've got the issue of people, the haves, if you like, the people who've, who've got flushing toilets using up huge amounts of water. And then we've got the issue of people who don't have toilets causing huge amounts of disease. So, we, you know, it's a bit of a no-win situation on both sides, isn't it?
2: Yeah, that's correct. You know, I think if I can quote Albert Einstein, who said, you know, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. And we've created this mess in the, in the sense that, you know, I've just did a quick sum listening to your previous speaker that, um, you know, if a family of a household of five people flush a f- toilet five times a day for a month, that's seven and a half kilolitres of water. So that's already pretty much above what households get in terms of potable water drink, you know, free of charge in terms of the, the tariff system. But I mean, if you think about it, um, if you collect rain on your water on your roof, and if you use your grey water for irrigation, and obviously get a waterless toilet, then uh, what you flush away in a flush toilet is actually preventing somebody else of not getting drinkable water and I think that's really the issue and and that's why AFRISAN has really gone for the last seven years and looked at what can be done to replace a flush toilet which is the norm Mm. with something that is uh, that works pretty much on the same basis the difference is you don't have to use water to treat fecal matter.
0: But you know before you explain it to us in detail the irony of it is well the two ironies one is that uh, you know toilets that are using water to flush that's on the whole that's good clean fresh drinkable water uh, which is really um distressing but it's also something quite aspirational about having a flushing toilet i mean here in this country where people we know because of the protests people you know haven't had the dignity of having a proper flushing toilet it's quite difficult to take away that aspirational aspect of it and give them something else
2: I agree, you know, we've been involved with various projects with government in South Africa and beyond where we come up with the same and I forgive you for saying this is a political issue because in most of the areas that we work in rural development I'm not necessarily talking about informal settlements here but real outskirts, there's just no way the government have the infrastructure and the funds to deploy the infrastructure for flush toilets that's the first thing the other thing is where people are already uh, put up a home or, or a shelter in, in, a, in near residential areas. They have to get rid of those areas to lay infrastructure to start over again. So it, it's, a, it's, it's, as you say, it's a mess, and it's becoming a bigger mess. And the unfortunate thing is that people believe, by means of a vote, that they will get a flush to it in the end. Mm-hmm. And that, that unfortunately propels the issue, Um to, to a point where it becomes very, very negative.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a, it, a, I think it's a mess. Is a kind of an unfortunate <laughs> analogy, but I hear what you're saying. <laughs> uh, just just before we leave the flushing toilets, mm. I'm trying to look at that sum. The family of five using flushing the toilet five times each yeah. every day um, over a month going to use seven and a half kilolitres of water. Um, I think toilets flush use different amounts of water, don't they, Mm. depending whether it's a new one or an old one or a double flusher. On average, how much water does a flushing toilet use?
2: I I use the figure 10 litres, but it could be less. It could Mm. be, you have these semi-flushes that's less between 5 and 10. So anything between 3,500 to 7,000 a month, um, I guess is understood. But the point being here is if we're running short of water, as we heard from your previous speaker, we are flushing away drinkable water. So just a quick tip, and this is not something that we as a company entertain at the moment, but if you would basically just collect your grey water from shower and bath and re-channel that back to your toilet, you can quickly work out the amount of water you use for shower and bath. Um, I did a sum not so long ago in a little test at a holiday house the amount of water that you use for bathing and showering is almost the same as the amount of water that you flush. Hmm. So by showering and bathing, you're actually in a position to flush the toilet with the same water. Um, it, it gets a bit intricate. You know, I'm not yeah. a scientist, but the point is, it there is no real need. It, it's becoming a can I use the word sin? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. Sure. To, to flush away water. Um, drinkable water, which which, uh, an alternative source can be used. Obviously, it's not so easy or so simple because grey water is used, obviously, as a mechanical force to, to propel sewage towards sewage plants. So you create also small messes by trying to solve other messes. Yeah. But at the end of the day is, uh, you know, what's going to happen if you close, open your tap and there's no water because the water's run dry, what are you going to do?
0: Yeah, yeah, it requires a, a big rethink. I'm not sure about you're not being a scientist. I think what one needs to be is a plumber. And I think, <laughs> you know, if I had my time all over again, I'd a come back extra, as a plumber. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's the job of tomorrow. We need to be thinking about these things. Um so let's get on to and you know the the other side of it aside from how much water is being wasted going down drains and toilets, the other side of it is is the the threat and the danger caused by so many people not having a toilet. The disease right. rates are absolutely shocking. What you've got seems to me to fall somewhere in the middle. The African Solar Powered Waterless Urine Division uh, Diversion Toilet. Just explain.
2: Uh, a quick, and I want to use it, just a normal scenario of the way it works, We, we from a technical point, we, we use a solar panel to generate electricity to, to heat up a combustion chamber inside the toilet. We call it the dehydration section of the toilet. And that section is where the fecal matter will end up when you use the toilet. So we split the fecal matter area from the urine area so that the energy that we get from the solar panel can dry out sequel matter in the dehydration chamber. Fecal matter is 90% water. So as soon as you can get rid of the moisture in the fecal matter, you sit with a dry-like, we call it a dry-like composting material, uh, which you can then, with uh, additional composting methods, can use that compost-like material for composting purposes. So that's why we use a solar panel. And then further dehydration, we have a wind-driven turbine uh, where a normal flush toilet, the sewage goes into the drain, we have a pipe going upwards for ventilation and we use a uh, wind-driven extractor to, to, in, in, well, obviously to take out the, the gases and the, the odours, if you want to call it that. But but it works similar to the process of hanging your clothes on, on the washing line.
0: Mm.
2: You need the sun and you need wind. If you have the sun, it's drying out the clothes and the wind helps with that and that's at the end of the day brings the actual uh, functionality of the toilets um, with the solar power and the, the wind-driven extraction.
0: Sun and wind, something that we have lots of sometimes here in Correct. Cape Town, but not necessarily everywhere. What happens when you don't have either sun or wind?
2: Yeah, the the, the, the sun is, is dual function. So if you don't have, uh, like you say, in areas where you have lots of cloudy weather, you have less, obviously, uh, solar power. Uh, the unit can also be plugged in as a 12-volt system. So you have, you get the AfriSan Electric and the AfriSan Solar. The AfriSan Electric gets a power supply, which you plug into the wall, and it would potentially use the amount of electricity of a 40-watt light bulb, which is roughly about one uh, kilowatt a month.
0: You know, I don't have a visual image. I should have had a look at your website earlier just to sort of see how it looks. But one of the things, nice things about toilets or loos or lavatories or whatever you call them is that they're sort of nice and clean and neat and tidy and you just sort of close it all away. And what you're describing sounds... If you'll forgive me a bit Heath Robinson I <laughs> I'm sure it's a lot uh, sleeker and neater than than it's Yeah in that no picture look, in obviously the, the,
2: the main difference between a flush toilet and, and the Effricent is such if, if you look at the website 860drylittle.coza the the toilet is built if I can say uh, inverted from a flush toilet meaning that the larger part of the area sits at the bottom because we need to create like a fire place uh, extraction zone for the, the gases and the moisture because there's a lot of heat that builds up in the toilet you know the, the solar panel and the heat function can create uh, temperatures up to 65 degrees because we want to get that fecal matter dried out as quick as possible because that is what the capacity is in the toilet so it sits like a normal toilet uh, it has uh, a normal toilet seat a standard size Uh, but the base of the toilet is is obviously a little bit bigger Mm -hmm. because the capacity lies in there. It's it's a standalone system, so everything happens inside the toilet from a combustion point of view for the fecal matter, but the urine, obviously, we divert away um, outside into... uh, We use a charcoal filter for the urine, uh, whereby we filter the the urine before it goes into the ground because we want to get to that point where we have uh, zero... uh, Uh, impact on natural resources.
0: Two things, very briefly. Um, Three things, in fact. Uh, Have you got one in your house? Are there many fitted? I mean, would a large hotel group fit their hotels with them? And how much do they retail at per unit? I
2: I have one in my house, in my holiday house, actually, because it was too expensive to put in a septic tank. Um, And so it's working perfectly for me on the Domestic side of sales, we are currently busy with a new unit, uh, which is the same afri as I described, but it has a built-in composter. And the reason for that is for residential, for for me and you living in areas where we used to flush toilets, the the problem becomes not everybody has a composting solution Mm -hmm. in their backyard. So we're developing a model now where we don't just excavate uh, compost-like material from the toilet, but we have a built-in composter, so it will be the same basis of. After a month of use for a family of four to six people, your toilet will generate compost that you can excavate or take out of the toilet and use immediately for composting purposes. Or, it will be safe to dispose of in your normal trash, uh, because you don't want to put raw materials in the trash, um, on on a, on a normal basis. Yeah. The toilet retails for 6,237 rand, so 6237. Uh, we offer a five-year warranty on the product, and then we have also have a support staff for installations and the like. That, that's on the retail side. And then on the government side, we offer the models, either in electric or solar. But then we have what we call the ACER protocol, which is where we get involved with communities. You will you know the term CLTS, or community-led total sanitation. We currently have a project with the Department of Rural Development in six provinces where 5,000 people are use, use, using our toilets. Hmm. This is very deep rural areas. Yeah. But obviously, we, from an employment point of view, we get the community or the beneficiary community to do the installations, they do the maintenance, and they get involved. So it's, it's really a, a project by the community for yeah. the
0: community. yeah. And then presumably unit price would be much less. Yes. That website you gave out where you've got all the details and you can see it as well, it's 0860 dryloo.co.za. Is That's that right? Great.
2: And the 0860 dry is also the contact number, so
0: very clever. you, you can just
2: call the number and uh, somebody will answer to sell your toilet.
0: Well, you've <laughs> certainly thought it through, Gio. Lovely. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you so much, mate. Nice. Have a wonderful back. evening. And you take Thanks care. for the listeners. Bye. Right. you go. Geo Haynes, he's CEO of African Sanitation Group of Companies. And if you'd like to know a little bit more about that waterless solar-powered urine diversion toilet, AfriSan, 0860-dryloo.co.za is the website, 0860-dryloo.co.za. But if you work it out, it's also their phone number, which is hell of a clever. We're well, listening to uh, you're listening to the Enviro Show here on S A F M, and uh, we're moving next from well, we're moving, next from from uh, water, different aspects of water. What we're looking at now. We had a mail the other day from an organisation by the name of Samrec stands for South African Marine Rehabilitation and Education Centre. They're in Port Elizabeth, and amongst a number of the other things that they do, namely educating the public, they're also doing their very best to save the African penguin, who it's said could be extinct within five years if things continue the way they are. Well, on the line we have uh, Eddie Eddie Molequa uh, to tell us all about it. Hi, Eddie.
3: Good evening.
0: How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you very much. Gosh, this is a little bit of a worrying thing. Within five years, the African penguin could be extinct. Now, tell us a little bit about the African penguins in your area because I believe it's there's, it's one of the biggest breeding colonies in the Port Elizabeth area. Just just explain the situation.
3: Yes, thank you for the opportunity. Um, we are based in Port Elizabeth, um, which is the main breeding colony of the African penguin in the whole coastline of South Africa today. Um, the island, which, is, um, which has got the biggest number, is St. Croix Island, mm-hmm. which is about uh, 17 kilometers from, um, you know, the Kuha Harbor to the island itself. And we've got another island, which is uh, towards uh, Port Alfred at Woody Cape, which is Dead Island, which the numbers also are not that very high. Um, the reason why I would like to do this, um, you know, this awareness is because of uh, the highly, highly uh, endangered um, 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 African penguin that we see today that is actually not going to be there anymore. Mm. Mm.
0: So how th- have they been there very long? Because from what I understand, um, you know, certainly down here in Cape Town, we have the, the little colony at Boulder's Beach there and all that going on. And I think that the penguins... They just arrive and they just go. So at St. Croix Island and Bird Island, have the colonies been there for long?
3: The colonies have been there for a very, very long time. Um, What I will say now is that, um, yes, we've got uh, throughout the coastline of South Africa, from Port Elizabeth right up to Namibia, we've got these uh, colonies of uh, the African penguins. Um, as I said earlier that, um, you know, the one in PE at St. Croix Island is the largest breeding colony. Um, The numbers, um, in fact, and go back a few years, in 2010, that's where we realized, you know, the the, the highly, highly negative impact, where we've been looking at, um, you know, less than 24,000 that is left, and looking at the numbers, Um, It's mainly the the, the little ones that, you know, are facing, you know, the trouble of of dying out there without being, you know, um, rescued. Um, So, you know, to that, it it pushes us to to the system where we're looking at if those young ones are dying out, that means, you know, the colony will never be able to reproduce. Um, The adults that are there are very few um, due to the lack of food and long distances of traveling from P.E. side, you know, all the way up to um, Hans by Cape Town. It's quite a distance for, you know, those adults that are left out there to, you know, to go and find something to eat and swim all the way back to P.E. and, you know, feed the little ones. Um, You know, uh, the impact more It's coming again into, um, you know, the change of temperatures, you know, climate change, global warming, whereby... These birds can um, only travel, you know, in a day about 58 kilometers um, using the energy from, you know, what they've just, you know, um, you know, catched on their the meal. Um, it's, it's quite a challenge seeing that, um, you know, in a few years, um, I would say plus minus four and a half years now, we might not see a single penguin in South Africa.
0: You. But that is pretty shocking. You mentioned lack of food. You also mentioned if I heard you right that the one of the islands is is a mere 17 kilometers from Koha. Is it is there is there any connection there? I mean, is there lack of food? You know, we all know that there's a serious lack of fish generally in our oceans. Uh, you know, increasingly there's fewer and fewer fish. Is it just because of lack of fish? Is there pollution? What's the connection?
3: Okay. Um if you if you if you look at the map you will realize that we've got uh, two uh, main rivers um in the bay which one is um sunday's river and then you've got uh Swartcops river um the pollution that comes um you know from those two rivers it's really also a problem um whereby the other shocking side of things uh, scientifically is that um, you know, sometimes we pick up, a, you know, a penguin dead on the, on, the, on the beach and we bring it in, you know, for autopsies and that. And then you find out that, you know, um, in their system, um, you know, it's malnutrition. Um, also, because of the pollution, um, the reproduction is not going, you know, the way it's supposed to go. Um, the last one we've seen here is that, you you, uh, um, you know, with the research, um, there is. Um, they have uh, the male will have two, two, two eggs. Um, if I may say, uh, two uh, a, 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 a testicles that um, um, you know that reproduce, and you find out that um, the sizes of them um, are not you know normal. Whereby you find out that the right one is bigger, the left one is smaller, or you find out it's got only one, which is now a, a, a problem that comes now into reproduction. And that's also, you know, the way we see that it's going to be a problem. And is due that to pollution. yeah?
0: It's and that's due to pollution. That's pollution. Just coming back to what you guys are doing, Samrec South Africa Marine Rehabilitation and Education Centre. I mean, I think part of what you do is you involve uh, tourists and school children and you know that that's a very nice aspect. But you're also actually rescuing the birds. I think it's some enormous cost. What are you able to do? Would you go and find the little ones and try and keep them alive? You know, how are you able to help?
3: Okay, what we do actually, we will go out and rescue the birds, bring them in, um, you know, assess them. Uh, We're working with uh, our local vet, um, which is Dave Stewart. Um, He will come in and assess the bird and he will prescribe medication and then we take the bed through that medication for that, uh, you know, period of time. And when the bed is ready, which it takes us plus minus three weeks, sometimes four weeks, if it's just, you know, um, um, you know uh, uh, easy things with the bed, and then we release it back into the wild. But whilst we do that, we educate, um, you know, uh, the public, our visitors. Um, we do outreach programs with, um, with schools. Um, you know, just to, you know, get everyone to be aware that we have got the one and the only uh, African penguin in South Africa, amongst all the other ones throughout the world. And, um, you know, the numbers going down, um, we have to do something. Where by now, high, being highly endangered like this, it means we have to act like yesterday. Yeah. Because of um, in generations to come, they will never see a single penguin. If we look at their numbers now, um, I would say... The number of penguins are actually equal to the number of rhinos that are left out there and they're going down at the same speed, which is really, really important that we should be looking at this, you know, as a nation, um, you know, contribute into our, you know, into our uh, our nature out there, Uh, you know, care, conserve. And, you know share the the, 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 uh, the the knowledge so that everyone is able to you know make a decision. Yeah. Um, the other aspect that I would like to touch is that um, we've got lots of people um, coming through down on the coastline during December uh, holidays, which is that is the most time when we get lots of um, the little blues we call them um, after that three, four months when they leave the nest and they get stranded along the you know the coastline. And people just don't know what to do. So, you know, one of the things is uh, one to, you know, um, not even try to, you know, catch the bird. Um, Find out from the lifeguards. We've put all our, you know, our signs up there, um, you know, that one can be able to, you know, talk to them. They phone us. We go and collect the dead. And um, if one is, has got, you know, some experience, one can actually take a towel. And wrap, wrap the bed with a towel so that you know it stays nice and calm. Because the other challenge that we find out is that um, due to uh, the mosquitoes, um, penguins do get avian malaria, um, and they also get tetanus from uh, ticks. Um, so if a penguin gets uh, really really scared. Um, you know, the immune system, you know, starts kicking in. His blood runs very fast in his body and the disease spreads spread very quickly and uh, the bird can die. So it's better for one to, you know, keep him calm in a dark place until he reaches us here yeah, so that we can be able to mm-hmm. start with our protocol.
0: Gosh, thanks, Eddie. Gosh, I've certainly learned a whole lot this evening. Avian malaria, goodness me. And the same mm-hmm. number of penguins left as there are rhino. Wow. Uh, well, I think, in fact, part of your plan, if I'm not mistaken, is to spread the word even further. And I think that you're hoping to be in Johannesburg at Monte Cassino um, in one in a shopping mall there spreading the word. If, Eddie, if anybody would like to know more, because I know that you I can hear that you're very passionate about the birds. If anybody would like to get in touch to know when you're going to be there or if they would like you to come and talk to them. Can I give out what your cell number?
3: Yes, please. Okay. Um, our center number. Yeah. Um, which is also the rescue number. Okay. Uh, which is twenty four twenty four seven. Um, it's zero uh, four one.
0: Yeah. Five
3: eight three. Yeah. One eight three zero. Okay. And if people want to know more about us, they can also go into our website, which okay. is dot uh, samrec. s a m r e c. dot org. dot Okay. okay. And Good. we also have got a Facebook, um, you know, that one can also, you know, look at all the things that we do. Good. Um, what I would also ask is that you know, schools out there, maybe you know, we should try and change, you know, the, 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 you know, the focus, and you know, look at the environment itself. You know, um, you know, start small projects on, you know, doing awarenesses. We can reach to them at any time. They can call us. We can do an outreach program. Just like we do, um, you know, every year when we go to Science Festival in Kramstown, that we we reach out to a lot of, um, you know, uh, uh, rural schools from the Transkei, you know, some of the schools from Joburg, some of the schools from Limpopo. Um, During September holidays, those schools, they book, they come all the way from far distances, you know, to come and learn and to understand, mm. you know, the better way of how to conserve and Ed, what Eddie, they yeah.
0: do. Eddie, we're going to have to leave it at that, but that's that's really wonderful. There's people coming all that way rather like the penguins swimming around all <laughs> right over the place. Let me give the details once again, and very best of luck, and thank you for all the work you're doing, and I know it's costing somebody a huge amount of money, apparently something like 40,000 rand a month, and if you don't get some funding soon, I believe you might have to close down. So that's a very good reason to go onto their website. Ellie Molekwa, thank you. Keep up the good work. Take thank care. you so, so much. No, thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you for your registration Thank you. Eddie Malekwa, and if you would like to find out more, their phone number, their rescue number is 041-583-2004. No, sorry, it isn't. It's 041-583-1830, 583-1830. Otherwise, check their site, Samrec za, or find them on facebook south african marine rehabilitation and education center because we do not want to lose our penguins you're listening to the enviro show the enviro show well penguins may very well be at home in the sea where they are on the whole a um, whole lot safer than they are on land But it's certainly not every human being that's safe in the sea or in water, any water come to that, unless, of course, they can swim. And how many can't, especially children, who they are apparently the most common victims of drowning in this country? Well, on the line with some thoughts on all of this, seeing as it's Water Week, we thought we'd be a little bit conscious about safety in water. With some, certainly some thoughts on life-saving around driving, drowning, we've got Yuri Vessels on the line. He's the life-saving SA Director of uh, Life-Saving South Africa. Um, hi, Yuri. Hi, good evening. Nice to have you with us. Thank you very yeah, much. Lovely to be on the show. Are you a lifesaver yourself?
4: I have been, yes, for okay. uh, quite a long time.
0: Uh, how many lifesavers have we got countrywide?
4: Wow, that's a difficult one to answer. Probably in the region of about 1,000 qualified lifeguards.
0: A th- only 1,000? Yeah. Yeah, that's not, that's not so much, is it? Well, here's another question. How many drownings happen on an annual base, basis here in South Africa?
4: Well, I can give you a figure on, on, on a monthly basis for, for, the, for February. That's okay. the most recent figures that we've got. And um, in dams and rivers, six people drowned. Um, in pools around the country, two. In the ocean, eight. And, and other places like, uh, believe it or not, a toilet pit or a water hole Ooh. or just a swimming pond. Another five people, so that's eight nine
0: five and 14,
4: 16, 20. And on average twenty yeah. a month twenty yeah. to twenty five people a month drown yeah.
0: and uh, probably each and every one of those could have been could have been avoided so you know the ocean, the pools, the dams and rivers is it are they mostly children
4: no it's Not it's people even. of all ages you know, and it includes unfortunately fishermen who 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 go out and sea and have a boating accident but but mostly the the people who drown uh, on land um are children yeah uh, inland particularly at at any water place a water a water hole, a dam uh, on a farm or a dam close by um a river. And, and that, is the, that is the sad part about uh, um, um, the lack of reach of of the various swimming campaigns around the countryside, mm. or the learn-to-swim campaigns, let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, you know, I was thinking, the thing about lifesavers, that one has this sort of image of this tall bronze man in a little speedo running up and down the you know a smart beach somewhere, but actually the reality is that we really need lifesavers in wherever there's a body of water.
4: That's absolutely correct. Um, and, and if you can't have a lifesaver there, at least somebody who has been made a little more water wise the uh... the 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 aim of 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 learning to or teaching to swim campaigns whether it's done by ourselves or whether it's done by the national sea rescue institute whether it's done by swim south africa the idea is to is to make people a little more water wise to understand the danger of of any open water and also to 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 Learn how to swim, to yeah. stay above the water. Yeah.
0: So what are you guys able to do? I mean, Life Saving South Africa, are you a voluntary organisation?
4: It is a totally voluntary organisation. That is the, the whole ethos of, of life-saving in this country, whether it's inland or at the coast. Um, we've got 81 clubs dotted around the countryside, not all of them at the coast. Um, various swimming pools, uh, municipal swimming pools in larger centres have at least one life-saving club involved there. Um, and and that's where young people come to learn about life-saving, and, and that's where they get involved. Um, like myself, I started, I was 16 years old when I started, and that's more than 50 years ago, and and we have youngsters coming in all the time.
0: What do you, what do you I mean, first of all, you need to be able to swim, uh, I would imagine, as a life-saver. After that, what, do you, what else do you learn? Do you learn how to sort of drag somebody out of the water, how to, mouth-to-mouth resuscitation? What's involved exactly?
4: Yes, all of the above. <laughs> yeah, you, you, yeah, the, the swimming ability has to be there. Um, anybody who joins a club needs to be able to swim at least um, 400 metres in, in under eight minutes. We then take them through a basic course of the various rescue methods, whether it be with a craft, or whether it is with a with a torpedo boy, uh, you know the Baywatch uh, plastic thing, uh, or um, other craft like a paddle board, and um, we then teach them the various rescue me- methods. They practice those. We teach them to do resuscitation, and uh, it's all important for them to do uh, to to learn other basic first aid like uh, blue bottle stings and various other things mm-hmm. like that. It's just it's a four to six week course. And it's fairly intensive, and there's a whole other, there's quite a lot of theory involved as well anatomy and physiology, so you know, know why you're doing things, you know how to do it, various rescue methods and the and the resuscitation, and why you do it
0: yeah, I suppose the other thing that you need to be is is pretty fearless and pretty um altruistic i suppose that you know if somebody is is out there drowning and you're going to go in and rescue them you know that you're putting your own life at some risk
4: well that that is the the sad thing and and occasionally a lifeguard gets into severe difficulty and then has to be rescued as well but yes um you you say altruistic and 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 certainly it's it's I've always believed that the youngsters who get involved uh in, in the lifeguard clubs. Uh, it's totally voluntary. Mm. And and they nowadays yes they do it as a result of um life orientation courses that are done at school. Uh, they're encouraged to get involved in community service and this um some of the youngsters see as an ideal way of getting of paying putting something back into
2: the community.
0: Just lastly, Yuri, I'm just thinking that I suppose the earlier you learn to swim, the better. I mean, a, a child, a very young child, is going to be uh, a more proficient swimmer if they've learned that. When they're very young, it gets more scary as you get older. At what age should a child be learning to swim, ideally?
4: As soon as possible. Mm-hmm. I've, I've watched my, grandkids, my own children and my grandchildren learning how to swim. It's you, you, the, the, the so-called drown-proofing courses that you start. Um, I would imagine it's about 18 months. Okay. Um you know they, the these a natural fear of water but they overcome it pretty quickly uh, but the sooner uh, as you've said the sooner you can get get to learn to swim the better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. A, a thousand lifesavers countrywide really is seriously not enough. So if anybody would like to know more about these uh, the clubs that are all around the country, can they go to your website is there a sort of breakdown of who it yes, is? They Yes,
4: um, it's uh, it's an easy place to find. It's lifesaving. Okay. And uh, if they'd like to phone the office in Durban and get some more detail, um, our um, executive officer there is Helen Herbert. Yeah. And it's a Durban number 312-9251. Yeah. Okay. And mm-hmm. she'll be able to give all the information and the club closest to uh, whoever calls in.
0: Excellent, Yuri. Thank you very much. Uh, hopefully you've hung up your speedo, but uh, it, seems <laughs> like it, it seems like that we've got plenty of room for lots, lots more. Yuri Vessels, thank you very much. Director, Thank you, too. Pleasure. Director of SA Lifesaving. Well, if you would like to find out more, do check the site. It's salifesaving.co.za. Or if you'd like to phone Helen Herbert, she's in Durban, 031 312. Nine two five one give you all the details. But I, a thousand lifesavers lifeguards countrywide is just way not enough. So if you're a big strong, strong strapping young person and you want to become a lifeguard, just do it. Check the site salifesaving.co.za. Well, finally something a little bit more entertaining, perhaps rather than dangerous. The Eco Film Festival starting March the 26th, and it's happening. Good news is that it's happening not only in Cape Town but in Pretoria and Johannesburg. And what they're doing is they're screening something like 25 short and feature-length documentaries, uh, 12 of which I believe have never been seen in South Africa. So what are they doing? Uh, what do they cover? And where do they all come from, these films? Well, we have on the line organiser of the, well, at least certainly uh, the father, I think, of the Ecofilm Festival, Andreas wilson Spath. Hi, Andreas.
5: Hi, Nancy. I'm the father. That's fantastic. I
0: was going to say brainchild, but it's it's an overworked phrase, isn't it? So, (laughs) Um, Andreas, whatever you are, whatever your title is, the Eco Film Festival, it seems to be getting bigger and stronger each and every year.
5: Yeah, Nancy. We we started last year as the Cape Town Eco Film Festival, and we got such good response from people, and we, we got... You know, messages from people from other parts of the country saying, "Why can't we see mm. these films?" And we thought, you know, why not uh, expand it?
0: Incredibly heartening, I have to say, because when you think that a, do- a film festival like this is up against, you know, all the other things that are on circuit, all this star studied action-packed, three D, etc., etc., it's interesting. What sort of people are coming? I mean, are you preaching to the choir, or are you getting new converts?
5: Look, Nancy, we we absolutely are preaching to the choir. My my colleague Dougie always says you know if you, if, you, if you can't get the quietest thing then you've got a problem but, you know that's a starting point but we also we do hope that we can attract uh, you know people of all walks of life uh, and, and and not necessarily all tree huggers yeah. um, and, and the reason I think we, we do that is that the films we show are really fantastic they're beautifully made and they you know, address issues that really touch all of us. You know, they they happen to be on environmental issues, but, um, you know, they're they're great films. They're, they're, as you say, entertaining as well as informative.
0: Well, we were just talking earlier to Eddie Molequa, who tells us that you know if things keep going as they are, we won't have any penguins left in the next five years. So maybe there's a movie waiting to be made. <laughs> yeah, right. But I think the, if I'm not mistaken, this year you've got a bit of a a, a kiddies uh, kiddies focus.
5: Yeah, absolutely. So in Cape Town, so so as you mentioned in your introduction, we we are screening Cape Town in Johannesburg and Pretoria, and actually also in the Eastern Cape on a on a on a um, uh, ecological farm. Uh, near East London and in Cape Town particularly we're also including uh, something called the Eco Kits Film Initiative which mm-hmm. my colleague Tarin uh, Maru has put together and essentially it's a number of uh, 60 to 90 minutes uh, long programs of short films from Africa and around the world that are Focused specifically uh, on on younger viewers um, school children. and those will be screened in town uh, in the mornings and the early, uh, basically the early part of the day. And we're hoping to get um, you know local um, school keep, uh, teachers to bring some of their classes, nice. uh, you know, in Very what nice. is essentially the last week of, of term.
0: Yeah, and I see, I read here that the only full length feature film is How I Became an Elephant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> interesting
5: (laughs) intriguing yes
0: (laughs) have you seen all the movies i mean not just the kids ones but the grown-up ones as well
5: i have actually so i'm one of the people who's involved in actually choosing the films, which is quite a a hard job because you know i find it very hard to turn anybody down and, and we get a lot of entries um um but yes i've seen all the films but you know what i was thinking about it today i've seen them all on a small screen and it makes such a Different seeing them on a the big cinema screen, yeah. uh, and, and I really enjoy that. So uh, every year I try and actually watch each of the films again on the big screen.
0: Give us the highlights.
5: Highlights, you know, it's, it's tricky, and I see because, you know, I'm, I'm so connected to some of the films, I, I love many of them. Maybe one of the highlights is that we've, we've got an international guest this year. Um, her name is um, Stephanie Brendel, and she's the executive producer of a film called Extinction Soup, which is all about shark fin soup and, and shark conservation and mm. she's very very um, well kindly she's just basically having a holiday in South Africa but she's visiting the festival um, and she's going to be at the film screening uh, in, in Johannesburg and in in, in Cape mm-hmm. Town she'll do a Q&A so that's definitely one of the highlights she's come all the way from Hawaii um, some of my personal favorites like I said I don't necessarily want to single out any individual films Um, I love uh, our opening night film in Cape Town, it's called Love Thy Nature, which is narrated by Liam Neeson, um, where he basically takes the voice of homo sapiens and Mm. and explores the the relationship we have with with nature. Another favorite would be a film called uh, Return of the River, um, which is about a big dam in in, in the United States that's being taken down and and the river returns to its original flow. But like I said, I really love all of the films. And it's really a matter of people having a look at the program and seeing what appeals to them, what kind of issues they're
0: interested in and so on. And issues local and international.
5: Yes, absolutely. So mm. most of the feature-length films, in fact, all of the feature-length films are international films because there are not that many, um, you know, locally made long-form documentaries around. Um, but we do have a number of um, South African short films, which is great.
0: Well, we certainly got the eco stories, have we not? And just yeah. earlier, I was mentioning that because um, I saw it on your website, or at least I think it came through from your email. The Water Film Festival, which is right, which is starting on this Saturday.
5: Exactly, yeah. So we actually, I mean, I'm wearing a different hat now. Okay. <laughs> and there's so something around, um, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, National Water Week um, this week, and we've got a, actually got a free outdoor uh, film screening uh, in the, at Greenpoint uh, Park in Cape Town tomorrow night. And then from Saturday till Tuesday, we're showing water-related documentaries at the Larvia Cinema uh, in Cape Town. Okay.
0: But uh, the most important thing here is the Eco Film Festival. Now, yeah. website for that, if anybody would like to uh, f- see the whole program and sort of plan their lives.
5: Absolutely, um, it's festival dot com. Bit long, but it should be easy to remember. Festival dot com, and people can look at all the programs, different films, synopses, sh- uh, um, trailers, and you can also buy tickets um, there directly at the different venues. Uh, yeah.
0: Well, without further ado, let me just repeat that while I remember it. South African uh, com. There's a full program there and you can... Uh Book yourself a couple of tickets. Lovely, Andreas. Thank you very much. Very best of luck, and I, one day this will be right in all the dorps and villages right around <laughs> the country. Wouldn't that be good? Yeah, yeah it would be
5: fantastic. Thank you very much. No.
0: Take care. Bye. Andreas Wilson Spath, and uh, he's from While You Were Sleeping, and they're the people who put together the Eco Film Festival. So, if you're in Cape Town, Pretoria, or joburg get yourself along there. Have a look at the program southafricanecofilmfestival.com dot com, and you'll find all the details. Well, that's it. Thanks very much to the team. That's Lorna funny and uh, Kim Winter, and I'm Nancy Richards. And standing by, waiting in the wings, is Mr. Stephen Kirker. Hi, Stephen.